We're in the middle of a series or just getting really going in a series. So you're dead, now what? Uh, living in the light of the end. And if we're genuine or honest with ourselves, that's something most of us don't really like to think about, don't like to talk about or, or dwell on. Uh, but th- there is something to the idea if we know where we're heading, uh, we know how to prepare, and in a sense, we know what to uh, bring along. Uh, Solomon, in one of his three journals, says this. He says this in Ecclesiastes 2b. He says this, death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. So we're spending about 14 conversations, 14 weeks, uh, looking at what uh, Solomon talks about. Uh, Solomon, if you've read through the book because you've started to think about it, definitely is a little jaded with some of the things he says. Uh, he's, he's experienced all kinds of things in his life, and he gets to the end of his life, near the end, and, and he's going, what, what is the point of, of this life? And he starts to wrestle with this. And so again, today is uh, part three, and uh, it's already been mentioned that you can, you can catch up with that. And, and really, what we're talking about applies to all of us, hopefully. Uh, if we've been Christ followers for a little while, we really need to be asking, how am I living in light of the end? Uh, that day is coming someday. And none of us who are just uh, kind of kicking the tires of faith need to see if, how that really integrates into our lives and what that's all about. Uh, those of us who are, uh, are skeptics at least need to kind of wrestle with some of the things that uh, Solomon, Solomon says. And today and uh, next week, we're going to be taking a look at chapter 2 uh, through uh, the mindset, uh, the glasses of, um, well, these guys. This is, this, is where we're, this is the way we're looking at it. Some of us are familiar with the TV show uh, Mythbusters, and they take these ideas, they take these concepts from all over the place, and they take a look at them and see if that's really real. And Solomon in chapter 2 is going to take some myths that you and I may live in the shadow of uh, and kind of turn them over and show that these myths really need to be busted in our lives. And they do all kinds of things. Uh, uh, they, e- they even uh, t- go after um, things that uh, kind of, in a sense, bother me when it comes to uh, good movies. Uh, sometimes I'm watching a movie, and I know that really couldn't happen, but I, c- I want to live in the shadow of maybe that could happen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I really don't like sitting next to someone during a movie who goes, that couldn't happen because of this. And, and you know, one of my... Uh, favorite movies is uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and uh, you know, this is what they do to one scene. Again, they take this myth, and you like sitting there, you like watching it, you settle in, you go, isn't that cool? But that is totally unrealistic. That could not happen. 
We're going to steal the ship. That ship? Commandeer. We're going to commandeer that ship, Nautical Town. One question about your business, boy. There's no use going. Just go. How far are you willing to go to save her? I'd die for her. Oh, good. Now, where is he? So I'm sorry if you really like that scene. The experts, the Mythbusters, tell us couldn't hold that down. Um, how many of you are um, those kinds of people when you're watching a movie? You go, eh, it's not real. Yeah, I see. I knew uh, Greg Elling would be one of those people. But, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, those kinds of people. And, uh, you know, they just, they just kind of ruin, ruin the whole thing. Uh, Cindy sometimes is that. I, I like science fiction. I like Star Trek. And I like Star Wars. Please never confuse the two. They are completely different, and some people talk about, you know, Captain Kirk being in Star Wars and vice versa, and you're like, what? You know, but, but anyway, but she loves, like, this is realistic, and I'm like, yeah, it's realistic in like a thousand years, so lay off, but, but anyway, so, but the reality is, we, we, we laugh at something like that, we see that, but often, you and I, no matter where we're coming from, live in the shadow of a myth, and we live like that myth is possible, and it really isn't. We kind of take this believe it or not when it comes to some of these ideas, and we, we live in the myth of them, and if it gets teased out, or even if we were to say just off the top of the head, we don't, we don't believe that. But the way we live says there's some kind of uh, realm of possibility for that. And again, if we're, we're all honest with us, sometimes we love to live in the shadow of make-believe or let's pretend or a myth. Uh, that's one reason uh, it's so successful uh, for people to sell lottery tickets because everybody plays let's pretend the myth that they're really going to win. But if you've seen some of the statistics, you have more of a chance of getting struck by lightning than winning one of those lottery tickets. Yet, what if, and believe it or not, and we, we live in, in the myth of that. And you have to remember the background on Solomon. Solomon had everything at his fingertips, Nothing. He was like uh, the, the owner of Amazon, $154 billion. You basically can do what you want to do. You can pursue uh, what you want to do. And in Ecclesiastes 2.10, uh, Eugene Peterson translates verse 10 this way. He says, everything I wanted, I took. 
I never said no to myself. I gave into every impulse, held back nothing. I sucked the marrow out of pleasure, out of every task, my reward to myself for a hard day's work. Anything that was an option was his. Not only was he wealthy, but he was king. He had all the cards. Anything he wanted to do, he could do. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, maybe a sub-theme is this idea of myth-busting. Because most of us, if we were really to iron out who he was and what he had at his disposal, would say, if I had that, if I was that, then that would be the answer to my life. Now, we know maybe that's not true, but we, we live in the shadow of that, and we actually order our life around those things when it's really a myth. And Solomon got to do it. He had no one who would say no to him. He was the king. And he actually had the power, the resources, the brain power to basically do anything, not, not even basically, to do anything he wanted in the time period he lived in. Verse 11 goes on, he says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had, to to had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So Solomon's going to go in and break some of the myths, bust some of the myths, that we might not even articulate or say that's a driving force in our life, but if our life could be measured and evaluated, we would see that we really do live in the shadow of those myths. And at first, this is a bummer. This is a, a sad moment. This is discouraging. But the reality is, why carry all those eggs in that one basket only to find out it's, it's not going to hold those eggs? And so Solomon does us a favor. Solomon, in the twilight of his life, shares the regrets that he has that he can't go back and change. Now he can just think about them. So no matter where you and I are at, if our heart is still beating, we can actually adjust our life so we don't live under the shadow of some of these myths. And the first one is a good time is the answer to life. A good time is the answer to life. In our hearts, in the deepest places of our hearts, most of us, want to think that that is true. If I could just experience good times, if I, just, if I just had that, then life would be sweet. All of us would define a good time a little differently, but we do think that. Those of us who are, who are Christ followers think that. Uh, those of us who are skeptics 
think that. We really live under this idea that good times, what again, how you define that, is the answer to life. I may have shared this with before, but sometimes when I lay my head on the pillow and I think, wow, life would be great if this happened. That's what I'm saying is the answer to life. Sometimes it's relationally, uh, sometimes it's financially, uh, sometimes it's job-related, sometimes it's health-related, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm tying value to the answer of life to whatever that thing is. So right now, if you could really decide and, and have some thinking time, and you may not need any thinking time, and say, if this happened, life would be complete, that, that, that's what you're filling in at. And in Solomon's going to say, I had it all. I had it all. I experienced it all. And I'm going to bust the myth of a number of things that if you have them, experience them, you're going to find that those things aren't the answer to life. Back to verse 10, he says, everything I wanted, I took. And for him, as Solomon, it was legal. It wouldn't be legal for all of you, for me. Anything you want. Can you imagine going to a dealership and I want that and it's yours? Whatever it is. What, what, if, you, what if you actually dreamed up the ideal whatever, car, garden, whatever it is. I want that. And, and then they produced it. That's, that's the power. Can you imagine? For me, it would be like going into Apple headquarters and going, yeah, I really would like this feature on my iPhone. And, 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 you know, I don't know, a couple months later, they go, here it is. It's the only one. It does all these things you wanted to do. You could do that when you were Solomon. He never said no to himself. Every impulse, every desire. If you've done a little bit of research, there was at least... 30 to 40,000 people like in his staff to keep his horses, his homes, his everything going. 30 to 40,000 people. I would just like like three or four, but he has 30 to 40,000, whatever he were, wanted. I remember one time working with someone and, and, and they were so used to responding to him with whatever he wanted. If he walked into a room at the office and said, yeah, I think this, uh, this ought to be blue or this ought to be tan. Literally, the next week he'd come in and it was blue or tan. That's all he had to say. That, that's what Solomon has. And Solomon says, I had it. You may not really buy it, but I'm telling you, I'm breaking the myth that a good time is the answer to everything. Back to verse 1, he said, I said to myself, come now and I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Anything that he liked, he could have. And he wanted to test it and he wanted to see, do I really like that? Some of us enjoy going to an ice cream place where they've got all these million flavors and they actually let you test it before you 
actually buy it. They have a little Dixie cup, and the really nice places aren't like really cheap with that. But you go to some places. There's a place in Bahaba, Maine, and you can go there. It's called Ben and Somebody's Chocolate Euporium, and they have every kind of ice cream, and and they give you a little cup, and they even have lobster ice cream. And so you got to try that, and you can try it, and if you like it, you get it. Again, Solomon could literally do this with anything. It wasn't just ice cream. But then the myth bust comes with the second part of this verse. He says, but that also proved to be meaningless. We spoke earlier about the idea of vanity, meaningless, being uh, like a cloud. It looks like it has substance. It looks like it, uh, you're flying and you look like, wow, that has substance, but it's very easy just to fly right through it. There, there's, there's nothing to lean onto. It looks like there's something there, but there isn't. And this meaningless, as he's saying, it's meaningless. I, I lean onto it and I find there's nothing there to hold me up. It's like a, uh, a, a trust fall with no one there to hold me. He goes on in verses 2 through 3. He says, laughter, I said, is madness. And what does it accomplish? Just, just think if, you know, this is a guy that could, you know, he didn't go to see a show. They came to him. Oh, I really, you know, even when you think about like music, just think of people that you, you know, your, your favorite band, they, they came to him. He didn't go to them. And the reality was they were probably owned by him. Um, he, he, we're going to see that in a little bit later, that, that he actually, he actually they, they worked for him. So I really like that song. Could you do another one like that and write it up? And, you know, by the end of the week, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And they, there they were. Goes into, you know, um, his, uh, wherever his meet room is, uh, you know, his, his banquet, wherever it is. And, and there they are. You know, he's eating dinner. And, and, you know, I really like that song when I get up in the morning and he's getting up out of bed. And all of a sudden, there they're at the foot of the bed. You know, just rocking. You're like, yeah, this is great. And that, that's what he had at his, uh, you know, fingertips. You ever been up to the, um, oh, let's see, Eastman, George Eastman place, and they've got that, like, little, not little, but, like, that uh, uh, room where the organ is and all that kind of stuff, and, and he would actually hire uh, an organist who would come in and play at certain times of, of the day, you know, week after, day after day, and just because he liked organ music. It was before you could, you know, have a record or whatever that is, a cassette, eight-track tape, a, a MP3 player. None of that stuff exists, so that, so that you know, in a sense, that's, that's what you did, and he had to have it live. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, he did that. He didn't go so far off the rails that he was like an idiot, but he had all of that at his fingertips. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens, under the sun, during the few days of their life. Down in verse 8, it says, I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. You read there, and he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. So in essence, he could have one different woman join him for every meal of the day for a whole year before he got to number one again. Hi, Susie. Hi. You know, it just goes on and on and on for a whole year. 
I don't know if that's a great idea, but that's what he did. He went after everything. And it was all at his disposal. Chasing after pleasure, the good times, it was all his. And we could go farther into that, but we've talked a little bit more about that in the fall, so we don't need to go there. But uh, 1 Kings eleven thirteen says, you, you know, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. It's interesting, you, you can see that they, they follow different gods and all that's going on, but, but I, this, this application of that, just not in this situation, but I, I think sometimes the good things in life, when they own our lives too much, lead us astray. I've always been bothered by my own life, the fact that when things are going good, my relationship with God often is the weakest. When things are tough, I lean into him because now I think I need him. But I actually needed him during the good times. So why is that? Does God say, well, for the benefit of Dave Spencer, if I let it go too good too long, he's going to drift from me. So I need to you know, spice up his life a little bit so that he stops. Wouldn't it be better just to, in a sense, lean into God in the sweet times not just the hard times. Our good times can lead us astray. And probably those of you who have walked with the Lord for a while can think of, wow, my spiritual life, my engagement with the Lord, my feeling of dependency was weakest in the best times. Uh, Rather than having a sense of gratitude all the time, we just kind of just let it go. You know, when we, when we think about these things and we think about uh, the king and, and all of this stuff that's going on and we go, wow, how does, that, how does that even relate to me? Because if we look at the Older Testament, there's all kinds of things that don't seem to be cool uh, going on. And we see people that uh, uh, tend to have some kind of uh, spiritual emphasis in their life, but they're still doing this like, you know, him having all these wives and and all of this, and, and David, David didn't have a thousand, but, but he, he wasn't like he had, was faithful to one or two women either. And, and you wonder about that, and you wonder about all these kinds of things. It's interesting, I, I was thinking about this this week, I'm reading a different book, and, and this idea in Samuel comes through, this isn't in your own message guide. It says, here's what we want you to do. Appoint a king to rule all over us, just like everybody else. And you see this throughout the Older Testament that there are these moments, whether it's a king, whether it's whatever, that they want something that really is outside the parameters of really what is God's preferred will. And eventually God says, uh, okay, uh, you, you know, have it your way. Um, I remember my first car was a, a 1981 yellow Mustang. Boy, it sounds really cool, but it was like the stripped-down, cheapest one, four cylinders, four speed. You know, it just, it just, it, it, it was good. My de- parents finally let me get a car, 
and uh, you know it had like 42,000 miles on it, and it should last me for a long time. But but it it it's, it you know it had the old crank windows. You remember those days where you actually didn't have a button to put? You know, just all that stuff. I didn't even think it had. I think I had to put a AM AM FM cassette radio in it because it didn't even have that. So so it's just so it sounds a lot cooler. But but I didn't I didn't really like it. But I was so afraid that if I Someone of my father's friends found it. I was so afraid that if I said no, my dad would say, oh, you don't want that car? Then you're not getting a car. So I, I just kind of like, I'm, I can't look a you know, car, a gift horse in the mouth, so I'm getting that car. But it was, it was like a year later that I wanted a different car. And, and I kept pushing and pushing, and this car was going to have payments with it. And it was a, I forget what the year, but it was a, it was a Nissan Maxima with the 300ZX engine in it, you know, but it was a Maxima, you know, so, and it had all, you know, sunroof and all that kind of stuff. And I can remember my parents just discouraging me. Yeah, you shouldn't get that, you shouldn't get that, you shouldn't get that. But at the same time, they didn't say no to me. A lot of us can look back at life and see things that really were outside of what God would have us do, be, whatever, and we just keep pushing at it and pushing at it and pushing at it. And eventually God says, okay, have it your way. Um, even Jesus talks about this concept. He, he labels it to uh, divorce, but he says, Jesus, he was talking about divorce. He says, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And you can take out the word divorce and stick anything kind of in there and realize that God does, in a sense, let us have our own way because of our hard hearts. And so when you're reading through the Older Testament, especially, and you see these little bizarre, crazy things going on, you have to remind yourself that a lot of these times God has said, okay, finally, you want a king? You can have a king. But it was a rejection of, of God. So this goes on all over the place. So you need, to, you need to keep that in mind. So again, Solomon is trying to uh, bust a myth for the rest of us. My life's almost over. Will anyone sit up and listen? Will anybody say, I'm not going to live in the shadow of that myth, of the myth that good times is the answer uh, to life? And, uh, you know, another proverb that Solomon wrote says, sure, those people appear to have a good time, but all the laughter will end in heartbreak. And that's not a, like, yeah, they're going to get it. That's like a, oh, that's, that's terrible. That, 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 they're cruising along. They're thinking good times are the answer to life. That's the only answer to life. And eventually those good times, the, the bottom drops out of that and it ends in heartbreak. And be interesting to, to know, and we really can't know, you know, Proverbs was written in probably the middle of, of Solomon's uh, life and Song of Solomon when he was starting off and Ecclesiastes to the end. But it would be interesting what he would think about this concept. Was he even thinking about that at the end? He goes, yeah, I said this, but I didn't live this. I knew this, but I didn't live this. I, I, I bought into the myth, and no one busted the myth for me. 
So one of the last things I'm going to do as king, while I still have a voice, while still someone will listen to me, maybe someone will listen to me, is I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to share these things to break those myths so you don't live in the shadow of it. Paul says kind of the same thing when it comes to good times uh, to uh, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6.17, he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, uh, not to take their blessing as a sign of God's uh, approval on their life. Sometimes that's true, but, but don't, don't go overboard with that. Don't think because this good thing happened into your life, you must be so good. Don't be arrogant about that. Be, be thankful, be grateful, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provides for us, who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. What I like about what Paul tells Timothy, his, since his spiritual son, he says, uh, don't lean into that cloud. Don't, don't put the weight of your life in good times as the answer to life. Don't do that. Put your hope in God, your connection with God. Again, that's going to be flushed out as we continue to go through these, uh, this series, what that means, what that looks but what I like also, it says, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So in a sense, and we've talked about this before, enjoy the gifts. Enjoy the gifts, but don't worship the gifts. Worship the gift giver. Don't let the good days distract you, lead you astray, the good things in life. Because, again, that's a myth. And, you know, if I could sit down with coffee with you, just one-on-one, couple, you know, and just, just, just talk with you, uh, that's one of the benefits for community groups, especially when they're message-based because you can talk this stuff out. But, you, you know, I, you know I'd, I'd love to be able to say not in an attacking way, and you could ask me any question you want to ask. So, so, so really, does your life point to the concept that the answer is good times. Doesn't mean you don't enjoy it, but does your life point it? Are you living in the shadow of that myth? Because when you are, and what Proverbs said, what Solomon said, that laughter ends in heartbreak because it is just a cloud. It's a nice cloud. It's a cute cloud. It's a fluffy cloud. It's nice to look at. It's nice to, you know, but, but it's a cloud. Don't do that. I did that, Solomon says. I want you to save it. And what's interesting is if you know who the next king is, Solomon's son, Solomon's son does n- it just ignores all this stuff. Goes totally off the rails. Because again, he puts all his answer to life in good times and what that looks like. Another myth he wants to break is this idea of a good job is the answer to life. A good job. Some of us live in that place. If I just had this job, then everything would be perfect. If I just had this job, sometimes it's not even income. If I could just do this, then life would be perfect. 
Now, Solomon's not saying it's not great to have a good job. It's not great to be engaged in your job. But if you're using that as the cloud, you're going to lean your life in. You're going to find you go right through it. It's a myth. Then he decides to tell us about some of the jobs he had. And they were great jobs. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. He built the temple, the most magnificent temple. It took seven years to build. He also built a wonderful palace that took 13 years to build. Go look at some of the descriptions. Unbelievable. And it wasn't because he wasn't getting the job done. Some of us have projects we just, it's taking us too long to get done. It's because he, they were on. They were working on it. Seven years, 13 years, nine, they're, they're getting it done. So he's, he's got all these things. Not only are they beautiful homes, but they're, in a sense, they're monuments to his greatness, his success. Some of us, when we look at our work, and, and, and it's a natural thing, really want our work, in a sense, to be a, mon- uh, a monument to our success. I, I, I've arrived, look, this, this is, it's, it's not the item, it's what it says about me. And if anybody could take pleasure from that, it would be Solomon. It was just unbelievable. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I love that, because I don't think he necessarily was planting all the trees. You know, he's like, put a tree there, put it, you know, but, but they were his gardens. Just think of some of the most beautiful gardens you've ever been to that are public gardens. No, these were his gardens. No one else would see them unless they were invited to them. He just had gardens. You just go out and, you know, they they were just beautiful things. Um, One time when I was a kid, we went out to California for vacation and we went to um, the Hearst Castle in Monterey. And uh, this place, unbelievable, unbelievable. It wasn't function when we were there, but they actually had a zoo, and we could watch black and white movies where he had his own zoo, like, like any other zoo that's for the public, except it was his zoo with his lions. His th- it was his zoo. Solomon had all that stuff. It was just for him. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing. He had all these waterworks projects. Goes on, he says, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. You know, we go, oh, that slave thing makes me feel awkward, and it ought to make you feel awkward. That was the world he lived in. That's the way it was. And that showed he had possessions. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. We read on, it says, I amassed silver and gold for myself. There are other passages, other uh, documents about who he was that say silver was worthless during his reign. There was so much silver that if you had something silver, they would say, oh, that, you know, that, that's cheap. That's cheap. That's, that's not great. There was so much of it. And the treasures of kings and provinces, I acquired male and female Singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind, left them behind in the dust. What's more, I kept a clear head through it all. So he had some kind of clear head 
perspective. We've all met that person that because of their job and because it's been so wonderful what they've done with their lives, they, 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 you know, they're, they're, just, they're just full of themselves. Somehow Solomon has all this stuff, does all these things, pursues it, but, he, but he's not totally crossed that where he's just full of themselves. I love when I um, see some of uh, these, uh, from, it does something to my heart when I see some of these uh, successful, uh, I guess you'd call them like maybe even Christian celebrities and some of them have, have started their own schools and, and they're very successful and all this, but their name is not in the school name. It's not like the, it's not like my name, it's my school. They call it something else. They, it, it seems like it hasn't gone totally to their head. Then you see these other people out there where their name is in it. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it's the people afterwards that name it in the person's honor. But, but those kinds of things, I, you know, they, they, they kept their head. They, they, didn't, they didn't go off the rails. And with, with Solomon, he was able to do all this stuff. But he realizes it's meaningless in the sense that it's not the answer for life. Some of us live in the shadow of that. Pastors are famous for living in the shadow of what they do, not who they are. That's a tough one. Doesn't matter, it doesn't mean you don't take pleasure from it. It's you just don't say it's the answer to my life. Really quickly, I want to give just a couple thoughts about work, um, brief theology of work. Theology is just a fancy word that means study of faith, practice, experience, the study of God and God's relationship to the world, to us. So when you hear the word theology, don't go, ooh, what's that? It's just, just, it's just, a, it's just a fancy word for studying stuff. So here's a, a study of work and it's just three things I'd like to leave you with when it comes to work. First of all, work is a blessing, not a curse. If we go all the way back to Genesis, the beginning, we see that it was a part of God's original plan that, that Adam and Eve, that mankind would work the land, would work creation. That was a gift to them. It wasn't like, oh, I got to do this until I turn 65 and then I can retire. Can't wait. Till I... No, no. Work was a, was a blessing to them, not a curse. Most of us don't think that way. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to do the same thing forever, but the idea of working and giving your life away, that's a blessing. It's, it's a blessing to be useful. Sometimes uh, we think that the Garden of Eden was like a, like a cruise ship, you know, free drinks, free food, and a, a lo- your own little long lounge chair for everybody, and you're just kind of like on the good ship. And that, that, no, it was to work the land. It was to invest in. It was to, is to give yourself to that. that. That was a blessing. And so we need to understand that uh, work is a blessing, not a curse. One time I was at this uh, pastor's thing, and there were two guys who were getting to eat something that's always there at a pastor thing, and we were getting in the line, and these two older guys were ahead of me, and uh, they were probably in their late 60s, and I was in my early 30s, so I thought they were wicked old. And I'm listening to them, and they're, they're talking about this third pastor that's kind of in the same boat, same age, 
And let's just say his name was Harold. It wasn't Harold. But they say, yeah, yeah, did you hear about what happened to Harold? And I, they go, and like, I, they're going back, whoa, and they're talking back, and I'm kind of listening, and uh, they're speaking very loud and all that kind of stuff, and I'm listening to find out what happened to Harold. I'm very interested now, so I'm staying at the line a little longer because I want to find out what happened to Harold. And so they all basically retired from their churches about the same time. The two guys in line were still invested in life. They weren't full-time pastors. They were semi-retired. They were doing stuff with their lives. It might have not even been pastors, but they were doing stuff. Good old Harold, when they talked to Harold at the same time, he said, I'm not doing anything anymore. I'm retired. I've saved my money. I'm going to Florida. You know, I'm, I'm going to play golf. I'm not doing anything. So they're like, are you going to do anything in a church? No, no, nothing. They're like, how, how can it be? You gave your whole life to church and, and ministry, and, and you're, just, you're just shutting that off. And, 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 they're like, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm having nothing to do with it. Work was a curse, and I'm done. And then in the same breath they talked, and isn't it interesting how good old Harold uh, within a year was dead? And they're like, so we're going to keep working. So they're there. The takeaway was the takeaway was here was you know and again you know this is going to happen to everybody. But the idea was that good old Harold stopped living, stopped engaging, got out of his anything that looked like work he ran from because that was a curse, and because he just was living for himself, being a nice guy, but living for himself, he was gone in a year and a half, two years. And these two other old guys, they were, you know, they were just going to, now they were going to work until they're like 100 or something, you know. So, but this idea, we think work is a curse. Now, with that, we've got to remember that every job stinks. <laughs> so if you're looking for a perfect job, you're never going to find it. Every job stinks. There's something about it except for being a pastor, that is sheer bliss all the time. So, so everything but being a pastor, but every job stinks. And this is a part of the whole fall. When Adam and Eve basically said, no to God, we're going to do our own thing. We want to be like you. You read through this passage, you hear, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it, all the days of your life, and it goes on. There's this idea that life uh, work was a blessing, and it was just right. It was like a hand in the glove. But after all that, life is still a blessing. It's not a curse, but there are parts of it that are going to stink. And if you never can settle in and, and, and realize this, if you live in the myth that if you do the right job and it all comes together, because again, no one said no to Solomon. Everything he did turned out well. If, if you live in, the, in that myth, you're going to find that it doesn't hold the weight of your life. And Solomon, to the end of his life, discovers that. So we realize that work is not something to run from, but also it's going to stink at times because that's the way the world is. It's a broken world. Uh, it's a world that has turned its back on God. There's sin. And because of that, there's this piece of it. But also, there's one other thing I want to say. If you're a Christ follower, when you're thinking about this, you realize work is not a curse. It's a blessing. It does stink from time to time. 
but also Christ followers don't take jobs, they're on assignment. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule, this is the guideline I lay down to all the churches, all the assemblies, all the groups of followers of Christ. So when we look at our life and our job as a part of our life, if you ever figure out how much time you spend doing your job, you realize it's a significant part of life. You need to realize for a Christ follower, it's an assignment, and we're on assignment. I used to have a friend who used to, was much, was retired and uh, semi-retired, and she had been a missionary in Africa, and she always talked about what her next assignment was. She looked through those lenses. So as we think about Solomon, and we think about Solomon being a myth-buster, and we think about these two areas for start. The first one is that good times is the answer. A good job is the answer. We have to ask ourselves, do we live in that myth? Do we live in the shadow of that? Would we never say that, but all the components of our lives point to we think those two things are the answer. Because what Solomon continues to teach us overall concept is that just because it's full doesn't mean it's full. Full is often empty. Full is often empty. And, and Solomon lived a full life. Fuller than any of us in this room will ever live. Yet he says, full is often empty. Give you a little tease for where we're going with this. Paul, again, speaking to the church at Philippi, writes this. He says, I've learned the secret of being happy at any time in everything. And as we work our way through Ecclesiastes, we're going to discover what Paul's secret is. And that Paul's secret can be ours. Because when we don't know that secret, we're going to find that full is often empty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you inspired Solomon to journal about his end-of-life experiences because he opens our eyes like no other, no other book in the Older Testament and the Newer Testament to life. Uh, he sounds like a soured old man to some degree, but then there's these moments of hope I would ask that you would help us to look at the myths in our lives that may not have any myth to do with a good time or a good job. It may be something else. But we would discover that those myths that captivate us as the answer to the life, and then when we have them full in our life, can often be empty. And that's such a sad way to live such a sad way to experience the, the assignments that you have put before us. So I pray for my friends that as we digest what we've heard and thought about this morning, that it would not just stay in our minds, but it would work its way into our hearts and, and, the act, and actually how we look 
in our world. Keep us away from those clouds that look solid. I'm glad are just there. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.